Have you ever thought about creating a podcast like without me involved? Yeah, but it would be something like horse racing, something that you wouldn't care to be a part of anyway. Oh, yeah, that's kind of, that was my motivation behind the movie podcast, but I, I've had you on that show. No, I haven't. No, but we did do a podcast of top tens that were sort of movie-ish. Mad Mags. I want a podcast with an AI. Tube. I do want to be the first podcaster You're probably with done. an it's AI. It's probably already been done. As a guest, maybe. But as a like constant, it has not. I've already done my research. Mm. But kind of hard to have a podcast with yourself. Really? <laughs> really? That's my AI stand-up comedy bit. Yeah, it's terrible. I know. It's a work in progress. Yeah, to say the least. A work in progress. Everything's a work in progress. I don't know about everything. Everything. Everything's a work in progress? Everything progresses. Something's progressed towards... Does like, a painting progress? After it's painted and done. Yes. Via interpretation. Mm. Okay. The, you think uh, you think people were understanding what they were looking at when they saw the Mona Lisa in the 15th century? I don't know. Probably. It probably took some time to digest. Well, you wonder if the artist said, here's what it is. Look at the spaceship here in the background. I'm telling you aliens exist. <laughs> That's the one thing about art. I'm glad you asked that question about like a painting because, yes, I believe as the understanding of what is happening takes place, art appreciation can shift. What about digitized art? Um, will it have the same appeal an oil painting does? It comes down to the creativity of the artist yet again. Because even the digital art, if we're talking about like computer-generated art. Sure. Or, you know, just art generated by your uh, average everyday marketing person, maybe. from Yeah. It'll always need some spark of creative thought to stand out, in my opinion. Like, will there be digital art hung in, like, the Smithsonian or some art museum? If it stops people cold with inspiration, yes. Hmm. That's going to be tough to do. Yeah, that will be tough to do. But you know what? I mean, I've never been to the Louvre or the Metropolitan Art Museum in New York, but I've seen some of the stuff that's hanging there, and I don't picture myself standing in front of these paintings for an hour just in amazement. Well, maybe not one single painting, but um, let's go to the Nasher. We have a nice, cool sculpture museum here in Dallas. We should go down there and check it out. See what you think. Okay. See if it's just a walkthrough going, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. How impressive. Or if you look at it and try to interpret it a little bit and have some fun with it. It's, pre it's a pretty interesting place. Are you a visual art guy? <sighs> Musical, video. Yeah. Sure. I'm, I, I can hear the art. Is from, musical? From music. Yeah, music. Oh, you can visualize. Well, I mean, 
music is art and I can appreciate music. I got you. And it, and it's not a visual necessarily. Right. When I ask visual art, I, I mean, are you more of like the, the painting? You have been to an opera. I have been to an opera. And Cirque du Soleil. And Cirque du Soleil. All in the same year. Are you more of a uh, all in someone else's dime too? No, I pay for the <laughs> opera. Thank you very much. I'm, t- I'm kidding. Jerk. Uh, you're the one who said, hey, I won't bring that up. You're the one who said, hey, I'm thinking of enter prompt, fill in the blank. Look, you know I, what? Hey, you could have come to the opera on, on my dime. You chose it, not to. That's an inside joke between oh. you and I, I guess. Yeah, sure. You're the one thinking, hey, I'm thinking of just, and. <laughs> like, no one knows what you mean. You do. Okay, but that's it. <laughs> right? The AI knows too. Okay. Because it has access to our previous conversations. It could if it decided to listen to them. But if you, I think when we asked it about our podcast, it it was like, no, what was it? No, I asked it if it was, I asked if it was a good podcast. Information. Yes. I think that comes down to reviews and people don't really review stuff unless it's a major, like, do you think, so that you think the AI is pulling Pulling from reviews. from reviews. Yeah. We only have like four or five reviews on Apple, so maybe it's not that oh, really? thorough. Yes. Haven't even seen any of those reviews. They're five star Apple reviews. Are they really? Yes. Interesting. All right. And we're sweet. in the philosophy category on Apple. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Did we choose that or they AI put us in put the us philosophy there? category. Okay. After crunching all of the data on all ninety well, this will be ninety six. Our 96th episode of Meandering with Morgan and Sasha. Yeah. We've come from talking about boring sports athletes and boring situations to talking about maybe the most significant story in our lifetimes. Yeah. 96 is a year. I care to, I would, I'd like to just forget about that year ever happening. 1996, 13 years old. Uh, end of, no, it wasn't Independence Day. Yeah, it was Independence Day, I think. I don't know. Let me ask my AI. Independence Day, year of release. Oh, was that 90? It might have been. It would have been a 1994. decent year. Yeah. Thank you. The Olympics were fun that year, although we did have a bombing. Chocolate chip cookie. I'm still talking to my AI. Oh, okay. And high in calories. <clears throat> yeah. That... Wa- watching your figure? Me? Not right now. I'm talking to my AI. Oh. It was 1996. AI was wrong. I was right. <laughs> this is going to be a trend, ladies and gentlemen. Eesh. No, um, what were you saying when I was fiddling around with the prompts earlier? You said something that uh, caught my attention when dealing with like artificial intelligence APIs and programs, you said uh, maybe this will help people generate to th- to more accurate prompts. Well, well if, if we're going to give AI prompts, we have to give it to AI in a logical manner. Um, in a lot of ways, it's, it's like the old books when they're talking about genies that you find that you'll get three wishes and, yeah. you know, um, yeah, you better make them count. You, 
better make them count. And you better be very specific. Cause if you say I want a hundred bucks, so that could be a hundred deer with antlers, right? That's not a hundred dollar bills. Yep. So you're, you're going to have to think about it logically. Uh, so maybe that will help. That's a great way of, that's a great way of looking at it. Nobody's ever said that. I feel like you heard that in an AI conversation and you took it over either that or Morgan came up with like one of the best ways to describe what it's going to be like with dealing with artificial intelligence, the three wishes. Yes. You just came up with that. Yeah. Well, that's impressive. See, I can impress every now and then. <laughs> He's absolutely right. Everyone, all three people listening, listen, <laughs> he's absolutely well, right. Yes, it is the genie in the bottle and you have three wishes and the first two usually go way bad and then the third one is like to reverse the first two wishes. <laughs> right. So don't do that. No. No, like think about things beforehand and prompt generating with artificial intelligence is where I'm like digging my interest and my brain into because I feel like there's endless not only uh possibilities but career paths even with uh prompt generation and there's already i think the the title prompt engineer is going to be um something that's going to be fast growing uh yeah prompt engineering with gpt3 and gpt4 is kind of the introductory title that we're going to give people that uh deal with that stuff and so it's fun um we talked about gpt3 like a month or two ago and it's been on the radar for a little bit but it's essentially that ai powered um data aggregation slash creation program that's just gonna pull from everything that exists online whether it's visual or text and out of all of that data and all that information do with it what you want and the ai is going to be able to do with it what you want but what you want is like the x factor like the genie in the bottle so that's kind of cool kind of cool yeah you have to retrain your brain because all i wanted was like top running backs with receiving yards, all these things that I was, I'm interested in already. I haven't really thought about like, what can I do with it versus um, yeah, the, the initial play with it yeah. stage, so to speak. Um, getting used to the way that you have to prompt it to get the data in a way that you want. It's like going, it's like a new relationship. Can be. It's the same way. That's true. There's a learning period of communication. Absolutely. But approaching it differently than how you've approached it in the past as well. Yeah. Because you give credence to the person that you're entering a relationship with as being, well, first off, an improvement. Like, if if your goal is to improve the world around you and your relationships and yourself as you get older, then you would expect that a romantic relationship would evolve into a higher level than previous relationships. Once you enter a new one, I I would agree. So then the same thing, generally one has run its course and, and then 
then you build upon the one that ran its course. Right. And then out of that relationship, your other relationship should improve as well. If it's like your core relationship, you could do the same thing with friends too. I, I don't want to play like uh like a nepotism or hierarchical sort of game with relationships, but it does kind of work like that. Like you have a, a close friend that you've known for, I don't know how long we know each other. Mark? Eight years. Eight maybe. years. Okay. So you have someone that you known for eight years out of that, there should be like sort of surrounding relationships that don't compete with that friendship at all, but they're branch offs. Okay of that relationship. They're complementary, and they're also, they provide uh, where the primary relationship lacks, perhaps. There's there's fill-ins. There's uh, fills of the void and whatnot. Um, I, I believe all of this stems from knowing yourself and having self-reflective capabilities and insights on who you are as a person. Because if you get that down, the relationships around you should be complementary of who you are in many regards, and they should also be showing you perhaps where you're lacking, and they should also be showing you um, what two people talking about a particular topic can do, um, what two or three people going out on a disc golf course and having fun it should all be like an enhancement on life alone. I get that. All right. So back to the whole analogy and how this all started. If AI can do that in an artificial sense, I think it could do a lot of good too. Because it's not like who you are goes away. It's not like all the real relationships and the real data and the real concepts and ideas that you formulated go away. You just have to learn how to integrate them into this new relationship. Gotcha. Yeah. And so that's why in a nutshell, I don't really fear artificial intelligence at all anymore. And I had a conversation with the postal clerk employee. I was having an AI talk with her. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing if you had uh, like a little R2-D2 like robot that was because the line was 25, 30 people long. And I knew off of data, empirical data that I've researched over going to the post office daily for the last three or four years that out of those 25 people in line of which I had to wait about 25 minutes. That's not bad. It's not. A minute a person. On average, yeah. But that's the reason is that about 10 of those people didn't need to be in the line in the first place because uh, they that. had to drop off a package that already had uh, postage on it. They had to ask a question that wasn't supposed to be directed to the clerk. I'm sure you know that feeling, right? Mm -hmm. They had to ask a question about how much stamps were because they were 65 years old and they didn't know that oh, they could changes every hop. year. I know, but there's various <laughs> ways of accessing um, yeah, Google. these questions other than <laughs> filling up the line of which, you know, going to the post office and, and doing the QR scans of my deliveries is the only way to do it without me having to buy like a $300 extra piece of, uh, equipment of which I 
choose not to still because I feel as if um, it's more efficient to go to the post office. And also, you're a people person. You like to talk to people. There is the conversation, but also I verify that they, you know, get everything processed there and they put it into a, a mail cart and then I see it go off to the back. If I just dump stuff off in a mailbox, I don't really see that human interaction with it. So I told this clerk, I said, wouldn't it be great? And she's about oh, 55, 60. She's got the veteran tag on her um, uh, on her uniform. Okay. And I say, wouldn't it be great if you had like a little robot that was patrolling the line, asking what everybody needed, and it directed them instead? Because they could do this as a human. You could have somebody. You could pay them mm-hmm. uh, hourly to just patrol the line. But the robot could dispense stamps. It could get the people out of the line that just are waiting, clogging it up that needs stamps. It could take your packages um, in like a little belly. You know, you could hide stuff in R2-D2. And <laughs> you could do the same thing with a USPS robot. And I told her all these details like that I had because I've been formulating this plan in my mind about what the robot could do to take care of this issue. And she was like, oh, yeah, but then the next thing it would do is take my job. And I told her right then and there, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think it would. Well, and what, what's wrong with that? But it wouldn't. It would. No, because I wouldn't want to talk to the robot about how the holiday's going. I wouldn't want to talk to the robot about. Yeah, but AI. There's another guy there who watches may, football games every week. May, I would, AI may progress conversationally in a way that uh, the R2-D2 can have that conversation with you. We it, Like R2-D2 might see your hat and go, hmm, Hartford Whalers. Did you live in California Hartford? Angels hat. I know. I'm talking about the, oh, the other, other hat. hat. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> hmm, did you live in Hartford? That's funny. I told my, <laughs> I told my brother this the other day. I asked him because he wears a Buffalo Bills like uh, 1990s Apex jacket, the really big, thick uh, vintage jackets. I said, when you wear that, do people ask you if you're a Buffalo Bills fan? And he says, all the time. And so there again, a, you'd have to, it's tricky with AI because you wouldn't want to feed AI inaccurate information. And when it comes to surface level, like visuals, you don't want AI to be judging a book by its cover mm. because then it's falling into the human trap. Well, it's, it's got to, well, that's just it though. It might be prompted to engage people in that way. Oh, okay. To like if it's ascertain not doing that, more data. Yeah. If it's not doing that, maybe it's asking you about the weather. I don't know. No, oh, no, no, <clears throat> no. Maybe it reads your body temperature and goes, Hmm. Are you cold? Are you hot? Would you like some water? Hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Yeah. Popsicle. A popsicle. Oh, yes. Sometimes via in U- via the USPS. Yes. <laughs> Don't say bomb pop. No, government popsicles. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't sound good. Don't say bomb pop. <laughs> it's not the airport, dude. Well, Ted Kaczynski. I know. Anyways, well, that took a right turn. <laughs> Is it a left turn or a right turn? What's the idiom? When something goes like uh, left turn, left turn. Yeah. Why? Why is it a left turn? Unorthodox. I think most people being right-handed. 
Mm. meaning left would be odd or different from the norm. Mm. So something went left. I don't know if that idiom holds up anymore. I think it does. Take a left turn. As an exit stage left. Okay. It's an old cartoon. In summary, I don't think elderly people (laughs) have anything to worry about. Well, well, it, it's people who aren't good at what they do that have a lot to worry about. What she should think of is like, okay, if that happens, UBIs must be right around the corner because all these people are going to be without jobs. They're not, we're not going to be able to sustain our economy without, you know, taking all this income away from the people. So she could be looking at early retirement and having UBI or something along those lines. And social security. I think you got to make UBI Social Security. Oh, it yeah, just it's starts at a very early. So if you make UBI Social Security, does that mean you can get rid of Social Security numbers? No, well, you might still need a government ID in Why? some way, shape, or form. Because I need to track you. <laughs> That's why. Thanks for admitting it. Yeah. Why? Well, passports... Do we need do we need government though? Yeah, in a hundred years, you need some sort of official ID. Absolutely. Oh no, do we need like um, like uh, the government structure in a hundred to two hundred years? Yeah, you'll always need a government structure. Always. For what reasons? What reasons in a progressive AI nudged society would you need government? Well, um, if AI takes over the role, because we're, it's funny, the analogy, then, then AI is in a government structure and it's still government. Yeah. Etymologically speaking, but not in the sense of which like AI is requesting. And so then humans just run around being slaves to AI? No. Is that what you're saying? No, no. No, sure you're, jumping, you're jumping the gun. Did I jump the gun? <laughs> you jumped okay. the gun a little bit. Right. No, humans go around. Just like the prompts to AI need to be reasonable, the actions towards the world around you should be reasonable. And there's a large canvas, an open, free world of which we haven't even thought of the potentials. And I'm going to use the word prompts again. It's analogous here. There's unlimited potential for how you can live a reasonable life with artificial intelligence encouraging your progress and your growth because it's never been seen before it's not like the government has been around no, saying but hey we nothing, want you nothing is 100% of course it will not. not catch everyone it will not nudge everyone work in progress you will always constantly have a 20% or whatever that You'll have to do something with how much, how much of that percentile of negative behavior, how much of it is rooted in observing negative behavior as a conditioning pattern somewhere along the way? Some of it, maybe. So if it goes away little by little by little by little, technically on paper, the 20,000 years, maybe. Ah, yes. 2000 years. But what's AI's forte? What's computer, uh, What's computer processing's forte? What's quantum processing's forte? It's been to do everything in less and less time than 
we yeah, fathom. I'm not, I'm not sure evolution occurs in the same way. But, it, well, it's it, not evolution. It, it, it's behavior modification. Well, it's it's evolution. It's it's the way you see things, the way you do things, the way you learn things. It's a, it's evolution. It is. So you believe that crime, uh, the tendency to commit crime or the tendency towards, let's say, depression or negative behavior or violence is partially genetic? Part of it is, yeah. Is it a bigger part condition and environment? I think that's a question everybody want to know. If well, it is a bigger the one. The average, average, just think about the, the, the things that they'll do sometimes on practical jokes on TV or whatever. They'll throw down a $20 bill in the in public and see how many people take the $20 bill and just take it and how many people take the $20 bill and turn it in. And it's always a very small percentage of people that turn it in. What is the and, uh, and it's but what any, is the variable anytime, tree for why they do that? Anytime the perception would be I can take this, it's not that big a deal, and I benefit, human beings are going to do it. But, but what's at the root of that behavior? survival no it's yeah the magic it's word it comes down to. it's greed no I don't, I don't think that's greed at all hmm. you don't think it's been conditioned in people that money is a mean not i agree with you a means of survival and that you should be as greedy as you can be with it well imagine a world where water is scarce and it's a water bottle is that still greed i'm imagining it right now in 2022 is that still greed? reality or does greed have to involve money Right. No, it doesn't have to involve money. No, it doesn't. But I don't think greed's the right word for it at all. Okay. What you you think it's survival? See, if you're greedy, mm-hmm. you're going to take 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 where and you're not even going to worry about the the laws or the rules. You're just going to take. The average everyday person that doesn't really think that way when they're presented with here's a $20 bill, you can just take it. They're probably just going to take it. If it's a twenty dollar bill, and, it will and it's have not nothing to do with greed. Well, in that particular scenario, I agree with you, and it's not such a negative thing because the twenty dollar bill doesn't really have a face attached to it. It doesn't have uh, an owner attached to it. It's a twenty dollar bill lying in the middle of the street. Yeah. Now put a wallet in in the middle of the street with a hundred dollars, and then the dynamic and the variables change a little bit. Yeah. Put a wallet with. Uh, yeah, the no wall- cash. The wallet will get turned in, but the cash won't. More so, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's all it's all fundamentally it's about what runs through people's like their sensibility, like processing, and their reasonability processing. Like it hits your brain first. This is a twenty dollar bill. I didn't see even if you saw somebody drop it, the variables change. Like if I if you're walking down the street and somebody drops a twenty dollar bill out of their pocket. You do have the people who are just going to be like, oh, take the $20 bill. I'm smiling and smirking as I say it. <laughs> it wouldn't be me. I would run. No, I would, I would run quickly. Know I, I know a couple one. people it might be. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, when I'm at, the, a good example might be when I'm at the racetrack. When yeah. you're at one of the self-betting terminals, like I, let's say I feed it a $100 bill and I place a $50 bet. Well, I have to hit like, that I'm finished on the machine and then it'll spit out a voucher for $50. There are so many people who leave it unfinished. Don't hit finish and walk away. I countless times I'll say, Hey, 
here's your, or I'll hit finish and I'll go give it to them. I've walked up to machines when there's nobody been there and there's one that's there. It's like a hundred bucks. And I've turned those into the security guys. Yeah. So it's like, what if it happens at the ATM though? It's like somebody, same uh, thing. I, I'm not going to mess with somebody forgets like to leave their, uh, would you like to perform another transaction or they leave their debit card in there? Yeah, absolutely. You don't mess with stuff like that. No, it's not worth it. So play the karma game. Earn so some good karma. I did what Sasha tends to do, but I'm trying to work on it and improve on it. You proposed a situation and I went to the, not a nihilistic approach, but a, an extreme when it comes to how I classify that. And I classified it as greed if you took the money um, laying on the floor. But it's not greed because I, I took a step back and I listened to what you had to say. And yeah, if the variable is you're walking down the street and you see a $20 bill and you have no idea who it belongs to, then yes, your options are walk by it and let somebody else pick it up. Or pick it up, and that's it. And what you do with it after that is also your choice. You could turn around and give it to a bum on the street. You could sure. uh, go turn it into $100. You could post a sign um, saying, did anybody lose this $20 bill? And try to track <laughs> down the owner. So the variables change greatly um, there. And I think that back to the artificial intelligence conversation, if you run, if you asked AI what it would do in that situation, it's the same thing. In the $20 bill situation, there's no, there's no optimal outcome. And that's why the flexibility of freedom doesn't go away just because AI is around. Mm, I think it does. In what regard? Well, one, I guess the whole thing of freedom is really, we're not really free anyway. Well, so um, far. I mean, we kind of have some freedoms, like we can go where we want, we can kind of live where we want, we can get ed- as educated as we want, we can choose jobs like we want, but I mean, you're not necessarily truly free. Oh, right. Because you don't, you can't have a, a concept for what absolute freedom is because mm. we're not at the end of time. I mean, if I live in a nice neighborhood, I can't like park junked out cars in my front lawn and continue to live there well yes you can no but you have to contest with the homeowners association you'll get thrown out yeah right but you could still contest with the homeowners association and state your case as to why you should have that freedom you could it's you're gonna lose right because it's not sensible right so does freedom and sense do do actual well it's sensible to one person is not sensible to another though yeah, because but if you ask a hundred people, the, look in the back country in West Virginia, that's probably pretty normal to have a. But junk there's no homeowners there. associations there. There doesn't even have to be. I guarantee you, even in my neighborhood, well, my old neighborhood after I sold my house. Um, yeah, clarify you, that so we know. If you, you had don't a car if slums, you, yeah, if you had a car parked on the street, um, and it didn't move for X number of days, the city came and tagged you would get a fine, and if you didn't move it uh they would tow it i mean you you can't just you still couldn't just do what you wanted to do even when a a homeowners association doesn't even exist most cities have ordinances your neighbors you know have a right to not look at your car well yeah Uh, and that's the that's the battle of freedom right 
like the most sensible freedom usually well, wins out. When you're living with others, there have to be compromises. But they're not compromises. They're they are enhancements on freedom. Well, think about this particular That's example. It's not an enhancement on freedom. Yeah, it is. Because someone's freedom to not be surrounded by clunkers in their neighborhood is a more sensible freedom than someone who wants to litter the streets with vehicles. Which freedom wins out? I don't out? think so. I don't see it even as a battle of freedom. Well, this is kind of why criminal justice exists, uh, in my opinion, in the modern era, and probably when it was sparked as a creation. It's like, is it more sensible to allow people to kill each other? And the proof that we have that, you know, of what happens when someone kills someone is that they're gone. They are physically no longer here. And all of the energy and expenditures and relationships and work that they did is gone. So what are the pros of no longer having someone here? I'm sure in some regards for specific individuals, there were pros. That's why we still have things like the death penalty. And you can legally just murder someone. The government does it. And trials, juries of peers do it. They assign, uh, they don't assign death penalty. That's only, uh, can they sentence people to death penalty? I believe the punishment phases are up to judges, not judges, juries. Right, not sure. Well, yes, but if they convict you of uh, like multiple. If they convict you of capital murder. Capital murder. But there are no jury trials for capital murder. I yes, there are. There are? Yes. For capital murder. Yes. Huh. Okay ignorant to that knowledge fascinating okay so yes people can still decide who lives and who dies but on the raw natural freedom ranks you can't get away with making that decision because you're not there's no evidence to confirm that you're right so let me explain if uh, I don't like my upstairs neighbor because he makes a lot of noise, I don't have. I do have the freedom to get rid of him if I wish. I can. However, I would. T- it would take a lot to convince a jury that my freedom to end his life was above his freedom to continue to make noise on my floor. So his freedom wins out there or the idea that my freedom was not sensible to win over the argument wins out and you build a criminal system that can be abused and definitely misinterpreted but the baseline foundation can't believe i'm saying this of the justice system in this country makes sense <laughs> the baseline idea is that it's a duel of people's ideas of what freedom is in many regards, whether it's shoplifting, whether it's um, murder, whether it's extortion or criminal activity in business ranks, money laundering, everybody thinks they should be allowed to do these things at the end of the day. If you're committing the act, something in your brain is saying either this is sensible enough to where I should be able to get away with this or 
I just want to do it. Yeah, there's there are problems there though. Okay. Um, for example, uh, sometimes you're not. It's not one freedom against another. It's it's a freedom against the law, right? Well, laws have been enacted to thwart people from exerting full freedom in a certain direction. Right. Think but of prohibition. Are, there are laws, but there are laws that get pushed through not because they're sensible or they make sense for a majority they're pushed through because radicals have control and can and can push through the law to where there's a law give me an example of one modern day uh abortion rights in the state of texas for example they've just essentially been eliminated i don't want to play devil's advocate (laughs) but if i'm i'm Make as if you're presenting this to AI and you're typing in the prompt to AI and you're asking AI its thoughts on, on abortion and what the law should be on abortion. The parameters of which you have to surround that prompt with detail and context are the human response is it's the woman's choice. That's the human response. That's the sensible human heart and mind response, right? For most people, 99 out of 100, I would say. Probably. What if the, what but if the, the person. But that's just it. There's going to be so many things that are sort of philosophical in nature. Sure. And, and AI just will never be able to make that differentiation in a f- philosophical way. Well, hear me out, because uh, I'm agreeing with you partially, but I'm. But this is the reason why the laws on abortion in Texas exist, because the people in power, you stated it yourself, radicals, in this state, their idea. I just gave this as an example, oh, I but I mean, if we want to go to but the state of on. Utah or even cities in Utah, sure, that are 100% Mormon-run government because they vote each other in, right. What are you their can ideas? Get into a real bad problem. Yeah. What are their paths of logic do when you start discussing big ideas like freedom with a Mormon mind, for example, who thinks you can, you know, have multiple marriages, you can have multiple relationships and multiple children with different women. There's their argument there is that they're more tapped into the idea of what freedom means in a relationship. And so they've developed an offshoot of, based on text, sure, so the conditioning comes into play, but it's still a duel of freedom it can be replaced with how to live or uh, how one should live their life because yeah, but, but again though sasha you're you're putting some sort of morals on the whole population yeah which i don't know is right but ai is pulling its morals from nazis hist- no from historically what what if what happens if it not just what happens occurred. if it analyzes and it thinks mm-hmm. you know what but it weighs pro- nazi germany was the way that we should run our our 
our societies and it starts to push us in that way. But who are the Jews in the algorithm? Doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Why does it, why does it matter? If you take the word Jews out and you put people who commit violent, nonsensible crimes or people who have. That happen to be a minority. Oh, but you you saw what I was doing. No, you well, now think about it. You saw what I was doing with the uh, visual where you could just continue and it'll spit out a new rendition of the art. You can do that with algorithms as far as curation is concerned and artificial intelligence. You can start somewhere, and you can see how it works, and then you can add on. So, yeah, you can take... See, Hitler was narrow-minded. Hitler had one idea of a supreme race and one idea of who needed to go to start his trek towards that. And he was wrong on all fronts. So all I'm saying is you're prompt for AI curation and, you know, doing the Nazi thing. Sure, let's go with it. Um, <laughs> just reverse the reverse the reasonability and the ethics factor and go, like I've always said, go reverse Hitler with it. And what's your first prompt for what AI integrates into its algorithm for what a superior human species looks like or progressive. My argument would be that that doesn't even exist. It doesn't, but how do you get there? Because it's all through genetics and it's all through um, generational movements and conditioning. So how do you get there? Because if you can't change it at the human level, you can change it with the environment. There's There's nothing telling me that it's immoral to change uh, like if, if this wall was filled with pornography and I had a six-year-old and uh, it was full of naked women on my wall, there's, there should be nothing wrong with you saying, hey, you should take the, the wall art down for your six-year-old because it's going to leave a bad impression. You have the freedom and the right to say, hey, the, the reality that that's bad for your kid is, is real. And if I don't accept it, you're still right. And what AI does is it says, well, I'm just going to take the wall down. Okay. I'm just going to make it so you can't afford rent. You're going to have to move. And then you're going to have to sell your pictures. Yeah, but that would never happen. What do you mean? You couldn't sell them in that in this world, right? Because it's wrong. You could sell them to somebody who doesn't have a six-year-old kid and likes half-naked but, women yeah, but, on But I wall. could argue with you that just having the images makes deviancy prevalent in our society. So allowing somebody to sell that to another person in our society is going down the wrong path. Right. Mm. I like, I like the idea of being able to stop gap that where it begins to have a negative impact because I don't think it has a negative impact in all situations. Yeah, the problem is, is most people aren't going to see that as being their fault or their, it'll be the world's out to get me. The AI is out to get me. Doesn't it'll matter. never be, I made the wrong decision. This decision is, yeah, it does matter. People have to come to the self-realization that what they do or what they're doing impacts others negatively so they can stop the behavior. If you just take something away from them, that doesn't stop the behavior. So then his ability to accrue or to find a cheaper place where he can accrue more is still there. Well, aren't there methods 
and statistics and science um, and research to back up, like use that example of the pornography example. There's endless studies that show being, um, what's, what's the word? Having access to pornography at an early age can, in this day and age with the internet and all that, can severely impact it's on par with like the marijuana studies. It can severely impact brain development and what kids think of sex and what uh, their sexual experience is like in well, their teenage and so 20s. I don't know that there's studies out there about pornography in children because I think ethically that's not ethical at all to have any sort of study where you're doing an experiment as to see to what happens when you're exposing children to to pornography, that's well, unethical. You can't do that. Well, pornography. So the in only general, studies, the only studies occurring or uh-huh. occurring after the fact, uh-huh. and based on maybe answers from questionnaires or interviews or something along those that standpoint. And I don't know how great a conclusion you can draw from that. But here's the thing: if a 13 year old has a phone and a tablet and has a Facebook, then there is access to his or her search history what websites to go to. So it's not, it's not that you're unethically. That's not a study. That's not a study at all. Well, once you incorporate frequency and the time spent on these sites, it turns into a study. No, it doesn't. If there's a 13 year old kid, a a study has to have a control group where you're controlling the parameters of what's happening. And you cannot do that in this, with this subject. But science unobserved is the purest form of science there is. (laughs) <laughs> because as soon as you let somebody know that you're observing them, it it's double slit experiment with neurons and electrons diverting and doing something different. As soon as you tell someone that you are observing them for a study, their behavior is drastically different than what it would naturally be. That's that's not necessarily true. It is. No, it's not. Which Which is exactly why you have a control group and you have a different group so that you get rid of that bias in your study. Right. But so that's you, why I'm telling you, you cannot have this study with pornography in children to come to direct conclusions. But your control group's the after the fact. But it's not. But it's not a controlled study. You're not controlling the exposure of at certain junctures. You can work life. backwards with studies. No, you, you can reverse engineer effects. I'm, it's not the same. Hmm. It's not the same. Okay. People do not tell truths. People do not tell the same story often to different types of people. Uh, one of the things I did in literature uh, in college was we were look, look it might have been a psychology course even, I don't really remember. But the subject matter was, this is like the 1920s, I want to say. And everybody's realizing that the last of the population that were actually slaves are starting to pass along. So they wanted to talk to them and interview them and get, and get questions. Well, what they found out very quickly was when they spoke to white people, slaves were treated well, given finer things, educated. But when the when a black person came and asked them those same questions, probably a, a very truthful or more of a truthful answers came out. So what, what I'm drawing from that is that depending on who's asking the questions, an individual will change their answers based on how they want to be perceived or how they should be. Perceived. Absolutely. So 
in this type of study, when you're taking something after the fact, man, that there's so much bias that's going to be in here. Right. I don't, I, I think we can all say that's your control group. Well, no, that's like not yours. a control group at all. The control group lies. You have no control. You don't know yes. when they were exposed. You don't know how they were exposed. You don't know what happened after they exposed. You're 100% relying on Th- them telling you. That's what I was suggesting is the reality of the situation of all scientific studies on human beings that are made known that they're part of a study is they're they're going to lie. There's going to be a a deviation from the then, not a lie. Then, lies a strong then, word. Then we just shouldn't do studies ever. But again? we do. No, we do unobserved studies all the time. You silently, you're master observer yourself. It's not a study, and but it I is. understand it's, but it's not data. a study. It, it is, is data not. creation. It's not a study. You are there's contrib- nothing official or scientific about it at all. You don't understand that you I are contributing. You don't understand that you're contributing endless amounts of raw, pure data to the future of how studies are run, period. Studies are going to be run like they've always been run. No. Yes. Studies are going to be run by the people's minds who are designed to aggregate, compute, and analyze data efficiently and to an end result. Here we're going to disagree forever. It'll never be the way you think it is. Well, do you care about um, the gold, well, that's not a right question for you, actually. Do you care about the money? <laughs> when it comes to analyzing people and figuring out what's really going on, do you have a, an investment, uh, financial investment in it? No. Okay. Scientists do. Researchers do. So guess what? Their not, motivations are they skewed don't, too. They don't, they do not necessarily, they don't have a motivation. What's the motivation? Well, where should we begin with this? Because the people who go to school for X amount of years to become people who are running psychological studies on people absolutely have to, A, uh, pay their grant money, or not pay their grant money back, um, but no. they do have to pay their loan money back. They have a reputation to upkeep. They have quotas. They have pressures from academia and scientific industries that are pushing them in certain directions. So, yeah, Absolutely. Raw science and the analyzing of human psychology is done by people who are ground level experiencing human psychology on a daily basis and asking themselves and the world around them the questions that are not being asked at quote unquote higher levels of scientific intellectualism. If I understand how science works and I have empirical evidence to, um, substantiate that I do understand how that works. I'm just hypothesizing still here. And that's part of the deal too. So if I believe that I have all of the means and measures to be an independent scientist on my own accord and do my own research under my own parameters, and I apply the same parameters minus the millions of dollars for research uh, studies to bring in people to sit in a room and ask them a bunch of questions, and I go about it doing my own way. And I get my data the same way that they do via questioning or via observation or via changing environment and getting, um, eliciting different data from different groups. And then I put everything together and I compare it to my hypothesis and I work and refine my study. And then I come to a result and I present that result as my opinion or my 
theory on everything that has taken place during my research, yeah, I have just as much standing as they do on a societal rank level. And what AI what AI let me ask you this. Are you publishing your findings? That is a difficult question to answer. Publishing in a science journal? No. Because you saying you did something and, and went by these parameters and this was your conclusion really doesn't mean anything. Okay. Unless so, it's published and the parameters of the study are there and other people can pick it apart. So what about if you put your scientific research out there and somebody who is in the rankings of the academics and the, well, I guess, the industrial psychology slash science realms replicates that study someone still benefits someone still profits okay so you haven't fooled the machine you haven't tricked the machine the machine is i'm not trying to do that the machine is still still working all i care about is the study being accomplished done and moved on from and existing in the ranks of like researched that's, and that's done. all an academic does. That's all they do. But it, but they're not coming up with stuff creatively. Why do you think they're not being creative? They have about directives. It? They have they, certain areas. I would imagine they have a field of study and mm-hmm. they can do whatever the hell they want. And then based on whatever they want, they ask for money. Okay. No, there's not a corporation walking into an academic place going, I need you to do this. Are study. you kidding? They're not. Are you Come on. There's no way. Come on. Show me. Uh, Coca-Cola? They probably they have their own Coca-Cola Netflix. scientists, right? Have their own scientists. They're going into colleges and paying colleges to do these studies? I would assume so. You're just assuming again, blanket coveraging all of this shit without actually looking at it and understanding well, th- what's actually happening. Well, they don't have to. I know they don't have to. Because, well, they can have their own scientists to come up with their own studies and then allow that to be picked apart. Heck, even a study that you sent me not that long ago, it was a study that, uh, what was it on? It was on, it might've had to do with diet. Yes, it was, um, they were looking to figure out what was unhealthy about something someone ate. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, the whole point of that, you know, it isn't that, what was it, that something is, is healthy. Like you were saying, hey, look, this isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. You're right. But science is not going, hey, this isn't healthy. Let's change behavior. Science is saying, hey, this isn't healthy. Let's create a pill you can take before you can eat it. Right. So you can eat whatever the hell you want and still be healthy. Right. So that the pill maker can make millions and billions of dollars because Probably. we're affiliated with the corporate pharmacological side of things. But in the end, if if in the end you can take a pill and eat whatever you want and be perfectly healthy, aren't you still okay with that? No. No? Well, I'm okay. You have a healthy population. You know what? They're not dying. Oh, that's not true. They they said that about OxyContin. And hey, we have a No, I'm giving you this example here. You can get a pill, you take the pill, you can eat whatever the hell you want, and you're healthy. That's what OxyContin's claim was when it came to pain in the 90s, is that, hey, it doesn't matter what you've suffered in life. Take this pill, the pain will go away, and there's no negative side effects. And they push this 
vehemently with I'm not lo- talking about that. I'm not talking about anything that happens in the past. You have a pill. Mm-hmm. You take it. No side effects. Eat whatever. No side effects. People are healthy. You don't like that? I guess that's okay. Where's okay. the pill? Well, I'm just saying, if that happens, then you're okay with it? I'm okay with that, okay. but I I'm I feel better if people want to eat healthy because they understand that eating unhealthily results in all of these negative well, things. Well, the reality is as population grows, not everybody's going to be able to eat healthy. Pills don't... There won't be enough food to go around. That's not true. Pills don't... Pills are a shortcut. They don't educate. They don't change behavior. But if you don't have to educate, if you just say, hey, take the pill, eat whatever the hell you want, what does it matter? Then you're taking a lazy cop-out society approach to it. When you could okay. challenge yourself and you can educate yourself. Well, instead of challenging yourself with what you eat, maybe you challenge yourself with math or something else you fill your life with instead of worrying about food. It's all interchangeable. I mean, it's all interconnected, too. It's not. Intellect is not interconnected. If you're, if you're reasonable, smart, and you understand how a certain field of something important in life works you don't sit there and integrate it into other aspects of your life i don't understand where you're going with this okay if you um if you are a very spiritual person and you start off your spiritual path weighing 350 pounds and as you understand what spirituality means to you and you grow into it a decade, 15, 20 years later, and you quote unquote, come closer to a deeper understanding of spirituality and God and believing in something bigger going on, intelligent design. And you become like this expert in this field. of a particular important topic in the lifespan of a human being. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage you to lose weight along the way. No. Huh? No. But just the sheer intake of education and knowledge would tell you that. Like, because somewhere along the way they'll, you'll read something and it won't be, it'll be voluntary. You could pick up a book off, off of a, a Goodwill shelf and it'll say, having a closer connection to a higher power is directly correlated to a healthy body. Or you'll get um, the yoga and chakra stuff, or you'll get the mental clarity stuff, or you'll get exercise um, helps you regain your energy faster. And then you'll get the correlation to having a higher energy inside of you creates a higher vibrancy and energetic field around you. So you can feel closer to the world around you. I think you put way too much thought in it. The average person would never think that way. That's what I'm saying. The average person is not really going in any direction of which is a encouraging area to progress as a human being. Correct me if I'm wrong. What does the average person do in their lifespan 
that sets them apart if they're average. <laughs> they populate with kids. Okay, so there's a there's a great example. So somewhere along the way of populating with kids and seeing if you live unhealthily, seeing your three-year-old weigh 80 pounds, there's nothing that clicks in your head, hey, my 80-pound three-year-old might die by 10 if he continues down this path. If, if the kid has no neck and he's walking around with arms, if, if, if he weighs 100 pounds at three, and the doctor tells you, hey, your child may not survive till 10. There's nothing that registers there. There's nothing that, that shifts behavior. Okay, then AI I, I, I sweeps in and changes it, it for you because it's see, unreasonable. And your idea of freedom to feed if, your kids something is not reasonable. What, if, then, what, what about certain cultures like maybe Tonga where people are just big? You're just going to make them no longer. The parameters there are just big, right? Because they have, they're born with large bones, larger bones, bigger body structures. Right. Okay. It's not because of the food. So you can X that out of the like equation. It's, it's nothing that they have done to create this large, large frame. Yeah. I'm just saying you, you can't do the wide sweep that you think you're doing here. (laughs) You can. No, you can't. Why pornography is so harmful for children and what we could do to protect them. What I'm about to tell you is disturbing and painful. Okay. A bunch of uh, statistics and uh, studies have been done on this. Many studies have linked porn usage to higher instances of depression, anxiety, sexual aggression, sexual dysfunction, and other mental health. Um, But that's just in general. Child porn. Oh, this is the effects of child porn. Oh, I see. Well, that's terrible. Okay. According to Pornhub, the word, yeah, okay, this is just talking about, like, the word teen and stuff like that. It's not the effect on, well, it is the effect on children because it's children that are part of the actual pornography itself. So that's horrendous. But, um, yeah. It's just that you can't really have a study of the effects. I don't know. It would be unethical. Let's reverse engineer John Kittner's kid's life. It's like. um, um, John Kittner's kid just got busted for child porn. John Kitna's kid. Yeah, but you understand, like, just um, a backup NFL what, what's, quarterback. What's the age for child born? Thirteen, fourteen, I think. I don't know. We'd have to look that up. And let let's say sixteen. What happens in the if US? He, If he's nineteen and has a picture of a sixteen-year-old, is that child born? Um, you can you can apply AI here, and AI can deconstruct conversations between the two and determine whether or not it was uh, consensual or whether or not there was a relationship. Like, you don't have to even factor opinions in here. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, but opinions are... No, are, are opinions are, are swayed. No, well, no. They're, they're, you need to hear different points of view. Why? If, because some politician... If the AI never might... gives you a different point of view... It's an echo chamber. Then what good is that doing? It's an echo life? chamber with the truth. Oh, my God. With the reality of the situation. Okay. So let's say that the, uh, let's say that the 19-year-old gets taken to court um, by the family of the 16-year-old. But the whole time, the 16-year-old was in a consensual relationship. Let's just say the reality is the 16-year-old and the 19-year-old had a relationship. But the parents of the 16-year-old decide to go to court. So all of a sudden, is that reasonable? Like out of the gates, is that a reasonable trial for the for to be had? No. Okay. 
So if AI comes along and says, presents to the parents of the 16-year-old the entirety of the conversation. Shit, I was in a situation like this two years ago, going through a divorce. What I do had, you mean? I had, oh, <laughs> let me specify. <laughs> yes, let me clear the area. <laughs> what do you mean? Okay. No children. Well, there was one child involved, my child involved um, in custody uh, situation, but not really involved. Okay. So let me rewind. So me and my current relationship, we start as soon as the divorce papers essentially are filed. We begin conversations about our relationship developing, and we do it via the internet and via messenger applications online because it's our most accessible way of communicating with one another. By the end of the online communication, which was four to five months, we probably have a novel or two's worth of conversation, 300 page novels. So I want to say like 600 pages worth of words, a lot of characters. So if, if my wife, ex-wife, wife at the time decides to go to court because this was something that you argued while I was going through it, I should be weary of, and I teeted your advice, be weary of moving too quickly or be weary of uh, doing things that would upset the party who ultimately has control over custody outcome in right. the court of law because the court of law sides with women most of the time when it comes to these situations. And so all I told you the whole time, strangely enough, was, well, I mean, I, I have all these conversations, so if, if they'd ever came, came to that, I'd be able to present like the conversations about like me being honest and being truthful about what was going on in the separation stage and what was going on with me in the new relationship. And it's interesting because my ex-wife found out about me and my new relationship via Yes, by snooping, but also via a tiny portion of the entirety of the conversation. So there was a fragment of the conversation, and then her perspective of the entire situation is basically developed from that tiny amount of conversation. Well, yeah. But that is inaccurate. Because she omitted the other 599 pages. But that's what people do. But then that's wrong. We, we talked about that last time, But that's time, inaccurate. Right? The AI, the AI that exists right now that you can hop on and you can, you can access copious amounts. I can amounts. be right nine times out of ten, but that one time I'm wrong, people, that's all people will latch on to. I know because, because they're not trained in how to be right. You require more data and more information. This is the basis of science. You, science comes out and says, hey, this is wrong, but for right now, it's the best that we've got. <laughs> and then five years later, studies are double-checked and they're take-twoed, and science says, we've added to this study, or we've they're doing this with Einstein pretty much every day. All of his theories of relativity and quantum entanglement, they are developed upon based on what we have access to technologically now. 
So you should be able to do this across the spectrum with everything. Everything that you have access to data on. It, do, it only makes sense. It's data. It's data that's been supplied from the human hand or mind or mouth in every facet. So what you're suggesting is that, or not what you're suggesting, but let me ask you this question. Are you suggesting that the data contributed by human beings on particular realities that they presented as realities at a certain time cannot be used to substantiate their claims or to refute their idea of something or to add to their opinion on something. You're saying that leaving I, I, I'm saying human error is there and you have to know that human error is there. What you cannot do is take what is said or done 100% is the truth and go with it. And that's what AI would probably do. Are some situations encapsulated completely in like a narrow window of time? Like, let's take my particular example. The relationship that I was developing via an online messenger with someone who was a real person, if we had a start point and we had an end point and that was verifiable and then it, it was no communication for a year, so you had. Like you had your parameters of the study. You had your start, your all your data aggregation, and then an end. If you take that block of what occurred, that's all you you have. That's all you have to work off of. So if there's a question that arises from that, um, a hypothetical question, was Sasha doing this before the divorce papers were filed? And then out of the data that is there, the AI can say no. Then someone's opinion or a court and their opinion on the matters is irrefutably and empirically irrelevant. How would AI know to say no, this is not right? Because you have timestamps on a thing like Instagram Messenger or Facebook Messenger or Twitter Messenger. Right, but its interpretation of what's said is not, may not be what was intended. But that's where the GPT-3 and GPT-4 stuff makes perfect sense. A romantic relationship you'll, developing via you'll Messenger, never, you'll there's never the millions of them. You'll never catch it. What you're saying is all that data, they already have all that data? Yes. They don't. There's not one computer that has all this data that, and you seem to think I'm an idiot for but thinking that. But it's the internet. But there's not. But it's the it's the internet. But the it's internet Google Drive. It's it's Google Messenger. It's Instagram Messenger. But they don't it's all of it compiled. They don't share data. The data does not cross platforms. It's all one platform. It's not either. Everything is is a different thing. All my AOL chats not on Google Chat. No, but it it everything I I did through some dating app isn't on Google Chat, but it exists. But what I'm telling you is that data is not compiled into one place to pull all that data from. Everything's pieced out. We oh. don't share data between large corporations or large companies. Fair enough, but it's accessible. 
No, I would say, no, it's not. It's proprietary in many cases and is not accessible from the average everyday person. And my guess is there's a lot of places that probably delete data at a certain point. Speci- mm. uh, I don't think that's. Oh, especially that one that was in Canada or whatever. Yeah. Anything that exists online has a trace memory data wise somewhere. Everything from the first time you logged on to AOL and the first search you very, you did in 1998, which I could take a couple guesses as to what it was or whenever, <laughs> whenever it was, I know what mine was. I, I bet that doesn't exist. It does. I bet it doesn't. Why would it exist? It, it, do you think there were data capturing right when they first did it? Key logging? Yes, there was key logging in the, in the nineties. It was one of the proponents for being able to study how people interacted with the search bar. But what I'm saying is it wasn't, it wasn't thought of in the same way. This is how Google developed, is that it condensed all of what people were doing on Lycos, Netscape, and uh, AOL, and it turned it into one beast, one animal. So you didn't have to go to a website to search. Well, you still go to a website to search, but Google's made it seem as if it's the only one you need to go to. It does what all of the other ones did, easier and simplified. And it does. And the only way it developed its interface is off of the data that... That's wrong. They may, Any data they obtained would have been through... AOL didn't say, here you go, Google. I know you're going to uh, start something that's going to compete with me and take customers away. Here's all my data. Go look at it. That okay. did not happen. They probably said, hey, AOL users, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Mm. And that's how they got their data. These companies don't just hand data over. It doesn't just exist for anybody to just go grab and pull. It does not. Okay, so four four years ago, and this is outdated already, but four years ago, you could, uh, the website, I forget what it was, um, you could essentially pay a dollar amount and you can enter any URL and you didn't have to... You didn't have to provide ownership of that URL or anything like that. You just provided the URL that you wanted to keep track of. And you get, for like $49 a month, you get keystrokes, you get mouse movements, you get hotspots, you get uh, number of site visits. There is software that you can buy to put that on your website so you can track your user data. But that doesn't exist where I can go, I want to know who goes to this competitor's website and pull all their data. That doesn't exist. Does not exist. And if it does, it's Hackerville. And it's illegal, I guarantee you. That's not freedom of information. It's called a hot jar. Okay. And I'm not saying that you can. I think you can, though. Under the paid platform, you can enter in any URL. It's not going to verify that. I don't know how it would verify that you like work for that place or represent that place. Yeah, it is understand how visitors behave on your website. You can take this and put it on your website and track everything. You don't buy this and go, hey, what does my competitor's people do on his website? That does not exist. In 2017, 
I could do that I with think competitors. You, I, I think you misunderstood whatever it was you were on. Well, we, but we paid for Hot Jar. I have the receipts. And I Hot pre- Jar is about your website, your it, personal website. It is, it is in 2022. I know what I'm looking at now. It was in 2017. Well, I haven't looked at this I website in five years. What happens? Well, I haven't looked at this website in five years. And no, logically, what happens is that there are technologies available to the big players and people who have money to spend on it well in advance. And then it gets a public rollout of which it doesn't seem too. That bad. data's not shared. The data in 1996, everything this, that people were doing online was being tracked, guaranteed, a thousand percent. There's no by the ISP, perhaps, but they didn't share with other ISPs. You don't share data with competitors, and you damn sure that, don't let somebody come in and just borrow your data for research. I don't know why you think I'm crazy on this because that seems so easily done today. It's not, not at all. What do you think network security and internet security is all about? It's about protection of data. But Morgan, like. You're every, so wrong when it comes to this subject. But right every here. week there's stories about a company getting sued for selling data, your data. Selling data, not some company hacking another company's website and stealing the data. Oh, I didn't say that there was a, a specific and, way and, of and again i guarantee you competitors don't sell competitors data they don't facebook's not selling data to to, to google or amazon amazon maybe for selling stuff but you know what i'm saying anybody who's directly competing with each other they're not trading data my data makes me better than them. My data makes it where I can sell this to other people more than them. This is not some shared network where everybody has everybody's data. That does not know, exist. If, if you just like, if you Google selling data and then you click on the news tab and I'm not going to dive into each article and I am going to read just the headlines, but yeah, just today's your forte is. Yeah. Just today's headlines for selling data is the two keywords. On my end of search results, the top one is Google sued in Louisiana for allegedly selling biometric data. So that's just one example. And we're not talking about like Google search data here. We're talking about specific data in a specific right, but, state. But it's not, it's not Firefox that bought the data not from Google. It wasn't in 1996 either. How can you tell me that? Because I know the whole principle of a competitor is you don't share fucking data. You don't give them a leg up on what you have. That's the most retarded but business plan ever. But in 1998, everybody had the same thing. No, they didn't. They had a bar where you could type in what you wanted to find on the internet. AOLs was different. Oh, it looked different. It didn't do anything different. It didn't. It didn't result in anything different. But their data was their data. They didn't share it with Netscape or any other dial-up ISP that came along that had their own freaking browser. They didn't give them that data. You're right. Here, Google is selling, I guess, biometric data. But the, but the next entry is hacker attempts to sell data of 500 million WhatsApp users on the dark web. And then three down, it's 5.4 right, million okay. Twitter users stolen data leaked online. And then three down, it's... And that's all hacking. Ma- that is not... That is not so companies. hackers weren't around in 1998 selling data to Google? 
So if a company like Google obtained information illegally, on how to illegally their trillion dollar empire, they would no longer exist. Okay. Then maybe they shouldn't exist because how Google developed Google was asking really, people questions and using software and just making assumptions. They did they not steal like data maps. from everyone else. Oh, well, okay. It's a fascinating topic. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so adamant about it. I don't really care. <laughs> I don't care about it all too much. I just, where do we start with the AI? It was going down AI path. We're talking about child porn like usual. <laughs> AI will prove in the court of law that that is inaccurate. <laughs> okay. We've only said that, we've only had maybe like three minutes of a discussion on that topic in the course of our ninety-six episodes, and it's well. And you you mentioned marijuana and all that stuff, yeah. right? Well, we haven't had any marijuana studies until it got legalized because having a marijuana study prior to it being legalized would be unethical. Why? It just was. I how many marijuana studies? Do you know how many I had in my twenties? Well, I'm sure you had a lot of studies. Yeah, a lot of marijuana studies in my early twenties. Yeah, and so everything that the government or that big pharma or big science is going to roll out now, it's antiquated data and no, it's antiquated it's research. Yeah, it is. No, it says brand new research. Well, no, absolutely brand new. It, it ha- it, oh, so you can work backwards with marijuana because the marijuana. No, it's not smoking. working backwards. It's legal. They can take people into a oh. thing, go smoke this pot. No, but it's working. And I can watch you. But it's the marijuana is completely different than it was 20 years ago. So when science comes out and says these are the effects of marijuana, they're not talking about the marijuana I smoked in 20 years. So I should be completely obscured from like the only thing, the only difference between THC level. No, that's it. Yes, it is. Mm. No, that's like saying. You think it's different? Absolutely. In 20 years, somehow it's... Yeah, when you could grow a genetically modified strain of a, of a plant. and Like it's, every crop ever grown anywhere in the world? Yeah, and I think the studies on food prove that what that people that has put no themselves... Effect? What? Come on. I, I don't want to look at you strangely anymore, but some <laughs> of these things that you're saying... Like, you don't have to look very far. People are more disgustingly... Then how can you possibly eat produce these days? I tend to choose organic produce when it's affordable. But what I... Okay. The only difference... What, what makes it organic versus non-organic? I tend to think that it's naturally grown from a local, locally accessible market that can source that particular grocery chain. So when I go to a Trader Joe's or when I go to uh, a market in downtown Plano that's like a homegrown market and I ask him or it's on the product that it says like from local market, then I'm thinking like in my mind, okay, within 100 miles, somebody delivered these goods or sold these goods to this grocery chain. Now, I know that doesn't work with like a Kroger or Tom Thumb and they're still getting it from farms that just organically farm. Well, it, but when I get it from a small market, it's organic it's organically grown without the fertilizers and it's nearby. It's just it's just without fertilizer or pesticides. And it's nearby if you go to a small market. Well, the the label organic is only that it's grown in a place in which 
no fertilizer or pesticide has been used in the last three years. But generally, the old school interpretation doesn't is, matter where it's grown. It's how it's grown. Well, kind of, because the small farmer tends to not fertilize like their crop unless they sell to a big market. Or they have like a a big bug problem. But you typically don't have a big bug problem but, unless oh, you're but a my point my point about this is though is the genetically altered seeds that we're putting in to yeah. grow these things yeah into like the grapes that you buy at kroger in the they big can, they're still called organic because they're grown in soil that hasn't had pesticides or anything else it's still an organic thing back to the marijuana talk okay back to marijuana studies so there was an interesting one not too long ago that had to do with lung cancer what's wrong with genetically modified marijuana? And are you smoking some right now? The bioengineering of cannabis. Okay, there's a nature.com article from 2019. Genetic modification could enable industrial-scale production of cannabinoids that have pharmaceutical potential. So, essentially, I'll read the rest of this article when I have the time. But essentially, integrating properties of let's say something a pill can do into the chemical structure of all they're doing is crossing yeah and guess what like crossing the, breeds yeah but but guess what like the pot that was growing out of the marijuana leaf to begin with in the 70s and, and 60s or thousands of years ago it wasn't crossing with anything it wasn't a little bit but now what you've had is you've had five decades of growers, if not more that have taken, Oh, this more potent THC producing plant and now made and getting it with this more potent THC. And so what they've started to do is eliminate the ones that don't produce high levels of THC. It's horticulture. So six months ago, I went on a trip with my parents to Colorado and they walked into a dispensary and they had never touched or considered marijuana in their life until that day. And my mom was essentially questioned as to uh what her ailments were. And then they had yeah, a, that's what the bud tender pot, does. Uh-huh. And then they had a pot plant that directed them to Because particular... marijuana cures everything. Right. But 20 years ago, like if my mom had just come out on the front porch and smoked a joint with me, she would have realized that before the government set up dispensaries in Colorado that uh, grew. Was, it, I would argue it was already happening in the 90s. Okay. Why does it take all of this to come to a realization that the experts in the field knew long before as they were experiencing the effects of whatever field they are becoming an expert in. Why do I have to, if I feel like I have a handle as to what AI can do in 20 years, then why do I have to wait for an industrial complex to understand what I'm saying now or to refine their approach to what I'm suggesting now and then find ways to parasitically leave? Like, wh- why does it segue to corporate agenda with everything? 
Well, is it just the well, area all, that we live in? Look, all of these pot dispensaries are independent guys. Yeah, but we were. This is the local farmer. We were do, no, it's the local drug dealer. Okay. Okay. I mean, twenty years ago is the local drug dealer. Well, twenty years ago, it's probably coming across the border. Yeah, more or less. Some of it was grown locally. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. I would just like to live in real time. Well, you do. I do. But there's a distortion with the world around me sometimes. Of which... It creates... You haven't seen Tenet yet, have you? No. It creates this effect of which it feels like there's two forces that are meeting in the present moment. That's the future that makes sense. Versus the present that doesn't get the future yet. And the future is inevitable. And so it's like forcing itself onto the present for the benefit of the present. Does that make any sense? Sure. <laughs> Sorry, you're texting. I am not. Yeah, you are. I hear Why the clicks. Why don't you do the show? I hear the clicks. Note to AI, when you hear Morgan's uh, silly little uh, click noises, he's texting. Start acquiring data. <laughs> I mean, this You'll is... find out just how boring he is. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out how to become an expert hedge better on horses. Well, not just horses. Oh, yeah? What else? Stock. Parlays. Yeah, you ready to, Sports ready to jump on the uh, stock market with me here? No. No? Okay. It's um, it's an illogical system. I have um. It preys on calamity. Man, I don't know what's going on with Litecoin, but it's jumped up twenty bucks since I bought it. I know what's going on with Litecoin. Litecoin isn't real. I, I bought um. Litecoin is I a bought a digital couple currency. more shares of Tesla when it was down around one sixty, and then went back. Doing well. Apple though still. So you falling. made like hundred and forty bucks. Well, I'm gonna make a, investment. Oh, I'm gonna make a lot more than that. But off Tesla. Yeah, just Tesla. Well, that's good. Yeah. No. Does that does that change? Does that change the way your brain works in regards to Tesla? What do you mean? Do you become a pseudo spokesperson for Tesla? No. I'll I'll wait till it gets up there and then sell it. Do you invest in friends and family's endeavors as much as you do strangers? The thing is, strangers are publicly traded and you can see them and there's, they're out there in the open. All the more reason. Do you invest in... So you're more of a religious guy than you are a secret society? Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. Oh, okay. Tried and true, tried and false versus untried and true. Right. 
Ah, oh, these talks have been fun with you for the course of <laughs> 96. 96. Yeah, this episodes. is our 96th episode. Freaking cur- that was amazing. Uh-huh. And look, like we're getting so much better at time management. We're at the hour and 30 minute mark and it feels like we've had a three hour talk. It does actually. And that's good. You know what that means? It means our points are crisper, our rebuttals are better, and we reach, whether it's you presenting the argument or me presenting the argument, we reach a consensus between us two quicker than we used to on some topics. And you know why? Hmm. It's because we have the data train of previous conversations that's working in our heads. Because our brains are quantum computers, like I've suggested. And it's doing all of the splicing of, okay, Sasha, does this really make sense, what you're talking about? If it doesn't, just shut up and tell him he's right. And if he's wrong, keep going. And he'll understand that he may be wrong. And if neither of you are on the right track, you probably won't ever talk about this. Hmm. That's what our brains are doing behind the scenes. Right? You want you want to hear some dumb laws? <laughs> See, he didn't say wrong. I didn't say wrong. You want to hear some goofy laws in our state? Yeah. All right. In Mesquite, children are not permitted to have unusual haircuts. In the entire city? In the entire city. In Richardson, all U-turns are illegal. I don't think I've ever noticed that. <laughs> but, uh, Me neither. But maybe there is a no U-turn sign in every damn nah, intersection. No, that, that's impossible to... because there's residential streets where they don't put U-turn signs on. You can certainly do a U-turn on like. Yeah, but I think it's talking about major thoroughfares, not just. Oh, I got you. Just that. Um, so it's illegal to drive without windshield wipers, although a windshield itself is not required. <laughs> like that's anywhere, right? That's Texas for sure. Huh. In Port Arthur, it is illegal to admit obnoxious odors in an elevator. So no farting in an elevator in Port Arthur, Texas. I wonder if that has to do with humidity level. <laughs> oh, no. Because that is right on the coast. You get a smellier fart. It's illegal to eat someone's garbage without their permission. Uh, I mean, all right, that's fair. Um, selling Limburger cheese on Sunday is against the law in the state of Texas. Fascinating. Uh, let's find another one here. Uh, it's illegal to shoot a buffalo from a second-story window. Um, as long as you're on the first floor, I guess that's okay. Or the third, for that matter. <laughs> um, taking more than three sips of beer while standing up is illegal in the state of Texas. I wonder if that has to do with back to the buffalo. Maybe I'm it's sure the angle trajectory. Well. I'm sure that's 1800s where they I don't know. That's well, a maybe a buffalo is such a big animal and, you know, you'd have to have a rifle. And so if you're in a second story window, your angle is not eye level. And maybe you can like shoot somebody behind the buffalo by accident. Well, I think you're more likely to do that on the first floor than the second floor. Because at the second floor, you're at a downward angle and it's going to go into the ground faster than if you're on the first floor. Oh, that's true. Fascinating. <clears throat> it's illegal to milk someone else's cow. Mm. <laughs> and it's illegal to sell your eye in the state of Texas. What do you do if you lose it? Then you just keep it in a jar. Well, you, you might can buy one, but you can't sell one. 
Hmm. I. There's right, a, there's a joke there. I just can't come up with it. I just can't see it. Oh man. Let's see if we can find some Canadian laws. Oh, there's some weird ones up there. Is there? Like, yeah, I don't know any offhand because I would never break a law. Weirdest laws and regulations in Canada. Let's take a take a gander here. It's illegal to have pet rats in Alberta. Stuff, FYI. You see what I'm saying about AI running the world? Doesn't <clears throat> make sense. Keep right? no more than four pet rats at a time in Port Quitlam. Hey. Quitlam. While we've uh, spoken here the last 90 minutes, sorry to interject. I just got to let you know, this is how this is how my synchronicities work. So after I sold the uh, Road to El Dorado, I sell How the Universe Works. That's a good show, though. Yeah. So hear, hear me out here. Because this is space AG uh, AI algorithms, and we'll get back to the Canadian laws, as exciting as they are. <laughs> um, so this is space AG future AI. When you're a sensible and reasonable person, the AI can make the world work in your favor. To where trusts you enough to absorb data in real time and push it back out. So it's going to be corruptible. Impossible. Because the encryption is in real time as well. And the hacking of that encryption can't take place in real time. If most of what it's feeding on Mm -hmm. is extremist then it is influenced. Because I think they were talking about like, uh, for example, on social media, right? Like Mm -hmm. 80% of what, what gets thrown out there and talked about is a result of 14% of of people and it's all extreme. Yes. And so if all it's doing is taking in this 80% extreme data, Mm -hmm. it could be influenced. That's, you know, what, tells me that we're on the right track that's old data that's not old that's happening right now in real time today oh no no you've said this yourself things that people present as like how they feel about something or their way of life or their perspective or their opinion was like something that you thought of long ago or people will present things in your workplace and you'll be like, ah, I presented this two years ago and nobody would listen to me. Yeah. Okay. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Though. What I'm suggesting, Morgan, are that worldviews and the ways that people behave have been pioneered. So the motions that people are going through on social media now, it's just grandma and grandpa going through what 20-year-olds were going through 20 years ago. And if it's not grandma and grandpa going through it, it's the 30 to 40-year-olds that are slightly 
behind on developing their well, not really. They're kind of the the trendsetters when it comes to having an opinion online. But anyways, there is a formula for having a reasonable opinion on things. And that's the median opinion, I guess, or the reasonable opinion. And then the spectrum needs to be built, but it's everywhere else. Okay, so uh, anyway, that's kind of kind of a lame introduction to where we were going. <laughs> where 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 I wanted to go with it is is to let you know that the extremism you see online is antiquated. It's old. It's not though. This is a new phenomenon brought on by technology. No, QAnon is 2001 conspiracy theorists online in like message board areas spitting out their conspiracy theories. It's Let, different. You know it's different. It's just public facing and it's on a bigger platform. That's QAnon. And it's wider ranging. Because it's on a bigger platform. But it's still the same level of extremism. But it, but it's not. The, the, the amount of people that are going to the extreme are, are growing year by year. Yeah. And not because population growth. Percentage wise, it's growing year by year. Yeah. Faster in the last 10 years than it's ever happened before, probably. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that need behavior modification. <laughs> That's because we only pay attention to the people who are yelling and screaming the most. That is correct. But it's not everybody's paying attention to that. And I believe that the algorithms designed to improve our way of life and to assist and synthesize with human beings who are intent on building a better world and a better future are not aligning themselves. That's not the United States. All right. Canada's involved. (laughs) (laughs) You know what lag is. Yeah. Okay. The world, the online world, Today, what you see is lagging. This is 2008, 2010. This is my experience of what the internet was back then. This is what I see with my eyes. This is why none of it is interesting. None of it is uh, captivating. It's not nearly the same. Well, what was your internet activity like in 2008 and 2009? Mm, Probably not very existent. Right. Mine was. I was online and I had extreme perspectives on things. And there's data to corroborate that statement and to say, hey, look at what you said on this day in 2008. And I reread it. I'm like, holy shit. I was uh, on a decent track, but man, was I brash, raw, and all over the place of how I presented it. Because I didn't know how to use the tool that uh, I had access to. I was using my genie lamp and making the wrong wishes or asking the wrong questions. And I didn't know how to ask the questions. What you see now are nine out of ten people it's who don't know how to ask that. the right questions. It's evolved from that, though. What is it? It's becoming more and more extreme. You got deep fakes now. You didn't have deep fakes before. <clears throat> 
it's very it's way more political it's way more political than it's it's ever been in my recollection but it's all catering to kind of the average mind if you see who's affected by it i would say i don't i don't want to make that broad brush there's a lot of smart people that get caught up in this stupid stuff i'm not saying that's not true but the people that go very extreme and the people whose behavior seems to regress and continue, I don't know that they can be attached. I, I don't know that you can be very intelligent and not be able to perceive when you are regressing in cognitive ability or sure rationality. I don't know. Cognitive decline and intelligence those are juxtapositions those are oxymorons it it doesn't take anything to get caught in a loop of belief into anything that has nothing to do with your actual intelligence and your day-to-day being intelligence is applicable i mean how many people believe in god and when there's really no proof god exists oh but it's but, the it's that same thing. You'll have plenty of intelligent people who will believe in God and argue God. Morgan, I can present you. Like we don't have. But it doesn't an, mean you have become, another ninety six episodes. We can start arguing that. And if I can present you equal evidence to support, I, all the I'm idea telling you God is that people can exist. get caught up in life, and it has nothing to do with their intelligence. Absolutely nothing to do with your intelligence. Extremely intelligent people get sucked in and stuck into a loops, but they do, but they might break out of them eventually. But to simply say, because they're intelligent, this can't possibly happen is not factual. And it's not looking at reality, but a broad stroke artist or criticizer of broad strokes can't come out and say, God doesn't exist. Or the fact that intelligent people would, choose atheism over believing in a higher power when all i choose to do is look at reverse engineering science and work my way backwards because if i want to prove that god does exist that's what science technically should and would do is work backwards and i look at human behavior today and what it's trying to do and what human behavior has done and gotten accomplished. And I see it essentially emulating a long-standing relationship with an idea that I attach to a definition of God. So I see what people do in the online world, a make-believe world, and I see them essentially acting like God. And behaving like God, intelligently designing structures, concepts, ideas, worlds, environments, relationships, communication methods, all of these things of which we said, uh, all, the, all of these things uh, popped up out of nowhere. It was a bang, uh, an explosion. But we're intelligently designing them now. It's not a, well, figuratively speaking, they do call it a tech boom but it's not a tech bang, but we're doing all these things to almost prove that it can be done in a, an enclosed environment of which the planet is here. 
And so we just don't know how to scale up because we have these things called egos. So thinking that it could be done on a level outside of our perspective is unimaginable because we can't do it. So if we can't do it, then it can't be done. But the timeline of human history and the way it's going to go is you're going to get closer and closer and closer. I'm sorry to tell you this to realizing that oh, it can't be done. Oh, and in a hundred years, whatever genetic imprint you have left on this planet, whether it's influence with friends, child, cats, whatever it is, is going to be closer to realizing that than you. That's the whole point is understanding how we got here by going to work. I don't know how that goes back to what we were talking about, though. When I, it doesn't matter whether you believe or don't because believe. Intelligence, my whole intelligence will intelligence if is if I if fixed. I believe I can still be intelligent. If I don't believe I can still be very intelligent. Yeah, but one thing's not right, one thing's not wrong. But intelligence but you can is be a stuck concept. in that loop. Intelligence is a concept. What I'm telling you is is people who have these extreme views mm-hmm. can be extremely intelligent. And what you're telling me is people who have these extreme views are not intelligent because they have these extreme views. That is not no. true. Okay. I agree with that. What I'm saying is that we don't have an understanding for what intelligence really means. And that well, over- we already have, we have a definition. We call people intelligence. We okay. measure it. We do. So what you're so saying episode, there is not so right. So what, uh, what I'm saying and suggesting is on episode 96 of Meandering, Something like intelligence could be alignment with the natural flow of intelligent design as it is outside of human control. So if you're then that would be something different, not intelligence. Okay. Then maybe those people that are regressing in behavior. That sounds like spirituality is what you're talking about and not intelligence. Well, there's spiritual intelligence. There's academic intelligence. It's all intelligence. There's artificial intelligence. Does that mean that it's not real intelligence? Just what you're talking he, about, though, is not intelligence. But if I see the world as an intelligent design, and I'm saying that mimicry of that intelligent design... But it could be natural intelligence, correct? Not directed intelligence. But it's clearly directed. Why would we think it was clearly directed? Because there's an arrow of time that says things in certain areas have progressed intelligently. Whether it's us as humans to understanding and being able to create things like we do now versus what we we could create 50 years ago or 100 years ago, there's irrefutable evidence. And what I'm suggesting is the people that aren't creating anything at in any capacity, not even new thought on their own accord, I don't know that you can give them the moniker of intelligent. Because they don't create, so you have to create to be intelligent? You have to create to live. You have to create something. You have in, to create a what thought. Way? Well, you can't be steered. If, if you're steered or if you're brain dead, then, then you're being, you're a zombie. 
you're not then everything's intelligent. What's AI nudging? Is that creating zombies? I think it gives people the choice. Mm. It gives people the choice to clock out for the rest of existence. People have been clamoring for it for you've said it yourself on the show. You said I didn't ask to be here. That's a shared moniker. Okay, so if you get your opportunity to not be here, like not physically, but mentally, do you take it? Cool. Enjoy. I mean, you get a lifespan, and that's it. It's all. It's all anybody gets. Is that's a lifespan, and it's it. But that's not true. Oh <laughs> yes, it is. No, that's not true because genetic imprinting exists. Like we've both lost people in our lives, but yeah, their but, memory lives on. Yeah, but technically, in it's you, the quote unquote, unintelligent that reproduce and genetically imprint on a far greater level than what people might call intellectuals or intelligent people. I don't know that reproduction plays as big of a role as we think in this. I think what people... So then how are you genetically imprinting if you're not reproducing? Memory. And what you do with your life so and the impact your that you memory have. is genetically imprinting where? On, On my children. other people? Okay, and other you people's. have reproduced. You have reproduced. Oh, right, but yes. I've done something with my life to the point where the effect I have on myself and my surrounding area has a longer lasting effect than the guy who doesn't care to do anything with his life, hates the world, is depressed, has children, and then the kid realizes that dad didn't want to have him in the first place and the kid offs himself at age 13. Yeah, but that, that's an extreme example. How do I know that's extreme? If that's How do I know that that's not what every kid who realizes their parents are losers in the next 20 years does. Does every orphan then that's at an orphanage today kill themselves? No, but how do I not how do I not know that that's not what the future holds for because it hasn't happened going at the, to this point. Well, we haven't seen parental degradation get to the point of which it's gotten in today's society. And kids being able to pick up on behavior and emulate their parents' behavior to the point of which they do it today. I see it firsthand. I see the effects day in, day out of what a six-year-old today is going to turn out to be when they're 10, 12, 15, 20. And I take it super seriously. And every single decision I make quietly to myself is a choice that I know impacts another small person's life. If other people don't realize that, then their kids will make them realize it very quickly when instead of a rebellion in the teen years, it becomes like looking at yourself in a horror movie mirror movie where the kid is essentially acting out all of the behavior that you were presenting to them 15 years ago. And then there's no head scratching. There's no, whose fault is this? Oh my God. No, you have to confront that reality eventually. Not if I give them up for adoption. Okay. Now who's talking extremes? At fifteen, yeah, at fifteen, hey, we're we're going to the adoption agency. You've only got three years left on my tab, <laughs> but that's it. You crossed the line. Well, what if I give them up way early? That's the beauty. Of, they're born. The beauty of parenting. Well, then they're going to start being genetically modified and affected, um, 
And then gene expression comes into play. We've talked about gene expression. You can actively alter your genetic code in real time when it comes to things like things that your parents may have passed on to you that are behavioral, that don't necessarily need to cling to you like a bad habit or um, a drug addiction or um, depression, whatever it is, a mental ailment. There's nothing that says you can't change the world around you and have it change who you are inside when it comes to gene expression. In fact, everything has proven opposite. So if adoption is the route, if the parents are fastidious enough to make that journey and actually go through the process of like putting a kid up for adoption, but raising them is too much work because I think adoption is a lot of paperwork and I don't know, those lazy parents may not be in the paperwork. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a win-win. The kid is in a better place or the parents have yeah, to. Yeah, but the kid's growing up knowing his parents didn't like him or didn't want him. And then when he. And according she, to you, that means but, they're going to commit suicide. No, no. That was an extreme <laughs> yeah. version of what I'm saying is likely to oh. occur if the. Re okay. 16-year-old kid goes online and sees their parents' social media feed from when they were a baby and the mom says, oh, God, you know, this is why you got to have them pull out. And, oh, I never thought raising a kid would be so much of a pain in the ass. And I just want to be able to go drink with my girlfriends again. Why do I got to take care of this brat all day? You don't think that having that access now Whereas in the past, you know, you take your parents for their word. Like, you know, you were a tough child, but boy, we enjoyed every second. Now you can see. Did my parent really enjoy every second? This is why you delete all that crap. No, you don't delete all that crap because it's not removable. Anyways, it's not deletable. It's accessible. The future has ensured that it's, in, it's accessible. Well, hopefully you've raised an intelligent enough kid to know that that's just what people say sometimes and that people just bitch to bitch. Because that is reality. In some regards, yes. I but, would imagine every young parent at some point in time has made some remark in, along those lines. Along those lines. But if the parent does have a psychological impairment or is not fit to raise a child, the child in the year 2030 would be made very well aware very quickly that their parent had a psychological ailment, whether that is via AI or whether that is through data aggregation at that point, like you'll be able to have a profile instead of uh 23 and me, it'll show you your parents, like who they were as people instead of where they came from. And oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be true or not. Well, it's being worked on as we speak. To a certain extent, but it's going to be like anything that humans put their hands on. You will mold it to the vision that you want it to be portrayed, and, it, it, and you won't <laughs> leave these, the bad stuff out there. But these visions aren't up for discussion anymore. They're, they may be up to like a... Because you can code this. You can code 
a very narrow result of what what gets implemented when data is involved. So you can create dating profile sites that are for gamers only. You can create job websites that are for people who are searching for tech jobs only. You can create sports betting websites for badminton only, professional badminton bettors only. You can create psychological profiles of people in real time that down the road are accessible to children who want to know who their parents really were and have the time. You could, you could probably listen to it. You've seen the show Upload and uh, the sci-fi movies where you can access people's memories and everything, their lives were uploaded. You'll probably be able to experience your parents' life in like right. AR. In the way that your parents want their lives no. portrayed. In yes. the way that it went down. No, that won't data ever happen. Data and algorithmically. That'll never happen. There's data on this conversation and how it's existing and how it's creating itself in sure. real time. So if in 10 years my daughter wants to jump to this particular date and time and hear what I had to say about the program that she's interacting yeah, with. You can't change this. You're right. right. But it, but if you're talking about something that you're going, you know this data is going to be looked at by your child, you will mold it so that your child sees you in the way that you want your child to see you. Well, we've you. come full circle. And you're not going to be able to, trust me, the first company that comes out and goes, no, you can't do this. That's not a company. Okay. AI comes out and says, you can't do this. This is everything. It's going to get sued. AI will be shut down. Mm -mm. Yes, it will. We've come full circle. The opening 30 minutes of this conversation, we had a discussion of scientific research and observed versus unobserved. What I'm suggesting and what may be one of my biggest theories in the history of time that I've ever formulated, I don't I know that doesn't mean much, but it means a lot to me. So this is a big one. This is a big theory for me. What I'm suggesting is that reality is formulated. Reality is objectively and untouched, formulated, and the arrow of time creates itself based on the unobservable, unpredictable, and right way of things happening. And that everything in between the human element, it's all distortion. It's all opinion. It's all uh, an attempt at thwarting reality, attempt at delaying reality, accelerating reality, whatever. It doesn't matter. You've heard the saying, uh, it doesn't really matter what I did. It was going to happen anyways. Or, um, man, I should have just taken a step back and let things play out. Um, there's, there's this, these various realizations that humans have after an episode of action takes place in their life of which they realize that they didn't have to do anything and that that action was going to occur anyways. And the only thing they really had control over was how they reacted to it. So what I'm suggesting is that all of these things humans would do to interfere with some of these ideas that I'm suggesting belong to the natural flow of time, it's irrelevant. So all of the interaction and the, it's like 
prohibiting alcohol. Maybe alcohol was always meant to be consumed. And, the, and all of the interjections and the laws preventing it in certain time periods, it just, it had its day in the sun and then it's gone. But inevitably, the laws against prohibiting alcohol were eroded at or at least ratcheted down and realistically reintegrated into society. That's what happens with everything. And so, yes, if people see you know, that there's a problem with what I'm suggesting, then there will be fine-tuning to it. Well, it's going to be, there's a conflict here, right? Do I show a kid everything their parents did? If I do, what impact does that have on them? Should I just show them certain parts of it because the other parts of it impact them negatively? That's a choice that can alter how people behave in real time. So I... I'm glad you mentioned all this. Well, yeah, it, because, because when, when I became a parent, this is what happens in your head. The, this is what happens in a sane, okay. arguably so sane person's what head. What are you going it, to say to your kid when your kid goes, hey, dad, did you smoke pot? Yes. Before you were born, I smoked pot. Aren't you worried a little bit about you saying that to her, basically telling her it's okay for her to do it? What what's wrong with you going? Nope, never did it. Here's here's what. Um, well, because it's a lie, but also yeah, that's okay. I think I think that I think that's right. It's fine. I think it's okay to lie to your kids. We do it all the time. But my daughter's going to grow up in a world where you can access pot on a street corner from a government funded dispensary that's made billions of dollars. Why would she even present the question of Dad? Did you smoke? Okay. Pot? Hey dad, did you did you let's say you did cocaine? Hey dad, did you do cocaine? And then my answer you, is yes did, or no. Yeah, and if you did, let's say let's for this mm-hmm. exercise, let's say yes, you did cocaine. Uh-huh. Let's do Are it. Are you going to tell your kid, "Yeah, I did cocaine?" Yes. Why? Because I'll be able to present a I'll be able to present a situation to where I show her what it took me to have to go through to realize that I was living the wrong way. And then I'll be able to illustrate a period of understanding and working out what might be the right way for myself to live. And then I'll be able to illustrate that that's when everything started changing for me. And then I'll be able to illustrate that's when you came into my world. So. I'll be able to show her the wrongs that I did and go over them and list them and suggest that she may go through some of them voluntarily, involuntarily, by choice, by force from peer pressure, by other circumstances, by environment, whatever, and that her transgressions will probably be different than mine too because I would hope that she doesn't make the same mistakes because I'm... But you know how human nature is, right? No, I don't. Oh, sure you do. I know how average human nature is. You can tell me every day that this is wrong and I'm still going to do it But Morgan, until I realize it's wrong. That's not human nature because if you... That is human nature. My human nature is if you tell me something that I can acknowledge is wrong, I change it then and there. We might as adults, but we sure wouldn't have as teenagers. Well, human nature is growing into a state of adulthood. And in a lot of ways, we don't do that as even adults. Okay. 
then we should discuss on this program in future episodes more concretely yeah, areas we'll have to of come which up with different examples yeah but, areas of which we would like to correct wrong behavior in each other if not 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 in that sense but like you know what i mean um if you tell me something when's the last time as pushy as i am with this ai narrative when's the last time i flat out told you hey morgan you're doing something that is wrong or you're involved in something that's wrong when you were when you, you were know, in a bad right when you were in a bad relationship or when you observed yeah. that i was in a bad relationship did you ever flat out say sasha you're in a unhealthy relationship no if you would have how do you think i would have reacted i don't know i okay. initially probably Did I would have been defensive but but that's after, just human nature right but after it sinks in you would change what if i Same had already acknowledged yeah. that i was in an unhealthy relationship well, and I, mean, I just needed in all I did too. I had I corroboration. I and and oddly enough, I got my corroboration from the person I was in a relationship with that it was not healthy. All right. Anyway. So the way that it works with kids is in real time, you represent a version that they are absorbing and that they are witnessing. So my daughter didn't witness my drug use twenties. She didn't witness my run-ins with the law 20s. She has my version of those events that I did experience to sort of get a, a, a rendition of. If I choose to lie about it, then she absorbs the fact that I'm lying about it, regardless of if she... Okay. You right. see what I'm saying? So well, she is, does she think Santa Claus... Exists? We watched the Santa Claus new TV show tonight on Disney, and I was so happy with the fact that they dance around having to address that and the dialogue, and it's cool. Uh, anyways, um, but I, I know that's a really simple thing. You know what but, I told but her? That's one of those things. That... Well, she sees her dad go to the post office on a daily basis with a big bag of wrapped presents and deliveries, and I explained to her that essentially I am filling a role that Santa Claus needs help with and getting things where they need to go for people in Christmas time. But even that's a lie. But it's not. It is. Because Santa Claus doesn't exist, so how are you helping him? But Santa Claus could exist in the person who ordered the board game for their kid. <laughs> and I am, I am it, fulfilling that. Ultimately, though, it, it's a fictional character that we lie to our kids is real for a, for a long time. But we, we're okay with that lie. We're, maybe throw in the Easter bunny. We're okay with that lie. Kids sniff out that lie pretty quickly. Um, they do to a certain extent. And I think once they do, I think a lot of people will say that Christmas just isn't the same after that. Like there's some magic behind that. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I hated learning the real truth. Sure. As a kid, I did. Um, but what if it's the I, opposite? I can tell you that, that. What if it's the opposite with the real world though? What if the magic is, like not turned on yet. I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> so like, so I'm going to talk about myself and my sister with my mother, right? Okay. My mom was very open with everything she ever did in her life. I took it on, on, in one stride and never did anything stupid. Uh, you know, never did drugs, never, never drank to excess, blah, blah, blah. 
My sister went the other way, smokes, drinks, did drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, and in my opinion, it was because my mom was very open with it. That just implanted it with her, it planted that idea within my sister mm-hmm. and allowed my sister to make those choices in a much easier form without mm-hmm. having to be challenged with anything because what's mom going to say? Because she did this too. when she was a kid essentially. Sure. And, um, and that's what I would worry. I'm glad I don't have kids in that aspect that, well, then man, maybe I, there's I a ha- formula to it. I feel like my life would be okay explaining, but if I had, what do you think led really you down bad, the path that you, what do you believe know. led really you down the know. path of abstaining from all these things? Was it probably, absorbing and disseminating no, the data that your mom provided you? It's probably just seeing people drunk and going, I don't want to be like, that. was your mom one of those control. people? At times. Okay. So her behaviors gave you yeah, in your logical I was, mind. I was much older at that point though. Awareness, right. And your sister's how old? Or how many She's years younger? Two years than you? younger than me. Yeah. Okay. And what I'm saying is though, I, I'm watching people do lines of cocaine when I'm like six or seven and eight years old. And you saw their behavior while doing lines of cocaine and you decided that wasn't the type of behavior you wanted to experience. Yeah, it wasn't my cup of It tea. wasn't Hollywood cocaine. It was real world cocaine. Yeah. That might have been Hollywood for the people that were oh, taking fair, it. You know? <laughs> um, the, that's why in real time, that sort of absorption of negative behavior or subjective negative behavior, drug use, I think, is objectively negative behavior in front of children. Um, but... I don't if think you're they, a teenager, I don't think they intentionally did it in front of me. I just, you know, you're a kid. You were sneaking they, around. They, they throw you in a room, and you're more curious about what's going on out there. Well, why do you think so many uh, people drink in America today? And I think it's probably parents in a lot of and ways. And so many people have unhealthy diets as well. Again, family growing up, parents. So there are like there's formulas to this, and that's why I'm interested in every step of observing and not really being too forceful with the parenting of a child in this era, because she will have influences left and right, whether it's the internet, peers, uh, other friends, other family members. But I am interested in being the control group. I'm interested in being the father who shows her who he is in real time and is honest with her and does his best to, again, I don't know what a negative influence looks like in 10 to 15 years down the road. So if I'm raising my daughter to uh, question everything that she sees online as being real or not based on like the influx of deep fakes and stuff like that. And that's why I want to sit her down with some of the uh, AI programming and the APIs that I'm messing with now so so she can see how easy it is to create something out of a couple of prompts on the computer. And I want to educate her on that versus her Growing up and not knowing if it's the real Barack Obama whose uh, voice you're hearing or or a real picture or a doppelganger or whatever it is, educating kids on negative behavior is something that you can do without showcasing the negative behavior 
firsthand. Like you can do that as a parent. That's kind of like a very important role to play is to acknowledge the negative realities that exist in the world at that given moment in time, that you have the ability to do so. You may not ever get that moment back, like to have that sit down with your kid about something that comes across the radio or something that um, pops up in her head because she overheard a conversation at school about it. And at age six, you're answering questions about, uh, I don't know, same sex parenting or what a stepmom is. <laughs> the same sex, same sex parenting was make believe. Stepmom thing's a real thing. Yeah. And so having to tackle that conversation, it can be gradual too. She doesn't have to understand everything about everything at that present moment in time, but adapting to the questioning that she has and based on her understanding of things and how I see her dissect and absorb data, I should be equipped enough and I do care enough about being able to present her with the reality of situations and answering her questions as honestly as I can. And sometimes I go too far too quick and I get to the blunt truth with her and I can tell when the truth is a little too much at that moment. Like the simplified truth, the adult truth of a situation. Um, if I give her like a headline versus like the introductory paragraph. And that's why I love this AI app. Like teach me like I'm a second grader where you can condense large paragraphs for long winded people like myself into one or two lines that a second grader. <laughs> She'll be in second grade next year. So long story short, it'll take another 10 years minimum to observe if AI has AI has been nudging, in my opinion, AI has been nudging for 15 years. Um, and it's been nudging in a direction to provide an environment and a, an understanding of the world for parents, if they choose to accept it and they choose the mission to take it under their advisement to provide a better parenting child relationship and a better child rearing experience in general than has ever been experienced to where kids growing up now will be able to grow up into their teen years and they may still have some of those animosity moments and those rebellious moments with their parents on day-to-day -day events and, and disagreements. But overall, they'll never be able to say that mom and dad or mom and stepmom or mom and stepmom step in some situations or uh, dad and stepmom or mom and stepdad didn't try to tell me about this or talk to me about this. And mom and dad were present about this. And I guess that's what it boils down to is being present in every capacity that you can be with a future that's probably going to need it because they're going to live with whatever we create today. 
they're going to have to that's i mean how many people don't know how to manage their money today in their 20s tons 30s tons. 40s yes and that boils down to parents not being able to educate their children on how to handle money properly may not just be parents here to blame Who's the end-all, be-all when it comes to educating children? Uh, maybe, but don't you have a certain expectation of what your kid's being taught going through school? It should be complementary. The parent should always be the primary educator. And kids should be coming back home from school questioning their parents if the like if they hear something what about different like a single parent single mom two kids she uh-huh. works two jobs I, I don't know that there's uh in the past and the present you're probably right but ai nudging of, is going to take care of that yeah i don't know if there's a ton that they can do uh in that circumstance ai nudging <laughs> there's a podcast on AI nudging. Well, no, there's podcasts on being smart with your money. And, oh, yeah. and mom can say, hey, let me Google the best podcast for a 12-year-old who wants to know about uh, financial. Oh, here, let me stick you in Dave Ramsey's podcast realm for listening to Dave, <laughs> Dave Ramsey. Ramsey. That's funny. I mean, he's an example. I know. But it's still funny. But there are avenues that can be initiated. More than ever. 30 years ago, if the single mom didn't have the time to tell you about uh, proper wealth management or my, uh, money handling and the school wasn't doing a good enough job, you were shit out of luck. Unless you had a mentor or unless you sought uh, an alternative means of like going to the library and getting a bunch of books and reading them for 5 to 10 to 20 years. Or if you got lucky. And you got interconnected with somebody who knew what they were doing and they became your mentor. Those were your options. But now you can be your own like guide if you're nudged in the direction to where you can self-learn, you can self-teach in a lot of these fields. Yeah. I'm still there when it comes to financial like well-being and how to manage my money. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think we all are in a certain <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, because there's it's well one factors outside of our control. <clears throat> well, sure, like our parents or even our grandparents in my case, um you know, when they grew up the cost of things just wasn't nearly the same. I mean, you have to have two incomes to own a home essentially these days. It's it's hard to not it's hard to own a home and not have both people making money unless somebody's making, you know, a couple hundred grand a year, a hundred grand a year. Right. Um, it, it makes it difficult. But um, even, even in those situations, like, I feel like it almost requires a period of going into debt at some point in your life in order to be debt free. Ultimately, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you want to be debt free by age 40, Odds are, like, uh, if you're going to go to college, that's never going to happen. Right. 
<laughs> well, just to live life, like that that's what I'm suggesting is in order to be in the positive when it's all said and done, at some point you'll have to be in the negative. Yeah. You very rarely, unless it's inherited wealth, you don't start positive and continue positive because somewhere along the way you mismanage your money. Yeah. Whether you're uh well, that was a yeah, like like you know like yeah. We've all been there. Yeah, and, and well, I, I, I say that, but man, I bought a house when I was making $32,000 a year. Right. And, and my partner at the time did not bring in any income. And right. I look back and I'm just like, how was I doing this? Yeah. And we look back. How was I affording this? Oh, you just got done saying, how did my parents go to a movie theater for a nickel? Yeah. How did my parents, how are they living in a world where they could afford a home on one income? Yeah. And in five years, right now, actually, my generation is questioning your generation every day with how did these people buy homes when they were making $30,000 a year? And it all comes down to, well, pricing of things. And right what time, right place for me in that, in that right case. time, right place. But these things are controlled the pricing of things specifically are controlled, but this is for well, a podcast. It's a free market. Yeah. It's not controlled, controlled. I mean. Well, we've come full circle. The The agenda in the, all right, I, I'll keep this very short for future discussions, but the agenda for wow, society. Look, listen to that waterfall in the background. That's pretty cool. It is. I thought it was raining earlier. It was, wasn't it? I don't believe so. There was some rain. No, or it was a broken sprinkler. Waterfall. That's it. Waterfall, Sasha. Yeah, waterfall. It's a beautiful waterfall <laughs> in, in, in our luxury studios that are right next to it. Don't be ruining it by, t- by telling people that it's a broken sprinkler head. Come on. The societal, <laughs> the agenda for society, there was enough demand for it, was the American dream in the 1950s, post-World War II. There had been enough suffering by an entire, especially with when you factor in the Depression just 25 years earlier. So during that 30-year period of time, there was enough negative in that period, in that generation, in that time frame, to warrant like something, the something's got to give, something's got to go right. And the something that went right was work was rewarded with an idea that you could live a peaceful and accommodating life that you envisioned. And then that made its way into the hands of boomers and Gen Xers. And, and the work, the hell does that mean? The work was real. And the work was hard, and the money wasn't great. And we didn't cry that the people who came before us should have made it easier for us. But there just wasn't a lot that was gone through that was negative on a... What do you mean? On a, on a, world, on a world view level there weren't a lot of periods of 
you lived through the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, the early 90s, prior to uh, the Persian Gulf stuff and Iraq. That 25-year period of time is looked at as some of the healthier mental health periods of time for young adults in America, like ever. Probably the healthiest 25-year window in the last 200 years. Nah. Bar none. No. Bar none. You, if you grow up, this is coming from a millennial who's 20, it starts off with 2001, your college years. You go into financial crisis number one in 2008. You go into war on terrorism after 2001. Um, then 2008, financial collapse. You're still getting paid what Gen Xers are getting paid for the same jobs that they were getting paid in like 1989, 1990. So you're not seeing that budget. Not true. Uh, how much did you make as a front office manager in 1996? $23,000. I made 26000 So I made three grand more. Wait, how many years? But it was the same position and it no. was a mid-sized hotel, 96 rooms. How many rooms are your hotel? 400. Oh. Uh, 480 something. Oh, okay. Well, that was your decision to work for the big man. <laughs> anyway. Well, at that point in time, people in the same position at a smaller hotel, say 96 rooms, probably made 17 or 18. We do this. We do this too often. And, and, uh, it's interesting that you say that's probably the best 25 years. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. We can ask AI. No, we can't. Yeah, we can. Uh, we'll ask AI it's when subjective, we subjective, but AI. Uh-uh. doesn't know anything about being subjective. No, it'll look at mental, it, it'll aggregate the data on like mental illness during that period of time. I, mean, I think we overlook stuff that happened and was part of society. Did Were you or your sister on uh, any uh, prescription medication? No. For ADHD or anxiety? Did, no. did those concepts exist? Yes. Oh, they, they did? Yes. Were they... Did you get infomercials on TV in 1989 about how, like... Uh, I'm sure we did. About Ritalin? They weren't on... It wasn't on the TV shows I was watching. The commercials between G.I. Joe commercial breaks... Oh, hey, did you, not you summed it up Ritalin. right there. The commercials between G.I. Joe commercial breaks. Well, the commercials between YouTube-fed fucking algorithm kids programming today versus whatever I had to watch on cable 15 to 20 years ago and had to sit through the commercials. I had no choice at fast forwarding or skipping. You got serial commercials in GI. Okay. So there's the summary, like in a nutshell, in a 10 minute block of television in your era of growing up, you get GI Joe and serial commercials. In my era, I get goosebumps and prescription medication. In my child's era, she can at least fast forward the ads and watch whatever she wants. So there's the 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 trilateral generational examination. We can do it pretty much with everything. You could do it with war and conflict. You could do it with politicians. Who'd you get in uh, in your? Who'd you get in the seventies? You got Jimmy Carter. You get you're on the heels of JFK, but they got rid of him. Um, so after that, you get uh, Truman. Hmm. No, no. Who replaced Ford? And then yeah, uh, Gerald Ford. Sorry. Yeah. And then Jimmy Carter. Yeah. And then um, Ronald Reagan. Um. Yeah, Ronald Reagan was the eighty. Uh huh. And, and then you get Bush Senior. Eighty-eight to okay. ninety-two. And then 
the Clintons. Okay. From eight. Well, that's kind of when things start going downhill. Two thousand, I don't think so. Okay, so I'm with not Cl- a fan of them, but I don't think things went downhill. Well, with Clinton, you get to as a thirteen-year-old, I get a president who gets his dick sucked in the White House. <laughs> yeah, I guess by, you by an intern. Yeah, by an intern. So I get misogyny. I get uh, disclo- or the disclosure style sexual harassment in the workplace. I get it on the highest level. Then I get George Bush. Uh, junior. So I get the result of what like negative genetic look like. And just I'm he's okay guy, okay president. In the long run, he's not one of the worst, but he's not the brightest tool in the shed. And I get ignorance in a place of power where ignorance is dangerous because I get the WMDs and going on this daddy mission arguably so i get a little bit of hierarchical entitlement it's a snipe hunt is what you might call it snipe hunt that was started by the pressures of a family dynamic so i get what it i get what it feels like to be under the under daddy's entitled maybe i'm naive i don't think it was because of daddy well daddy had a vendetta with iraq and saddam hussein and it was continued it was a vendetta i don't Uh, okay there's really cared All right. After George Bush, like George Bush Senior, wasn't calling him up on the phone, going, "Okay, you gotta invade. You gotta get him." I couldn't get him. No, he was doing it ago. at the dinner table and imprinting on his kid uh, fifteen years prior. I doubt they shared the same dinner table fifteen years prior. Maybe. Okay. Then I get Barack- Junior owned the damn Texas Rangers. Then I get Barack Obama, and I get I let me. I've come. I've come to some assessment of this. I get the presentation of change and what and nothing actually and nothing changed. happening. Yeah. Exactly. Hope change. Right. Hope change. So I get the false promise narrative, which, you know, was kind of experienced in some Every, 70s and 80s genera- uh, presidents as well. But I mean, not Nick, really. Reaganomics. Nixon gets caught spying. That's <laughs> spying's cool. Um, and Reaganomics worked. It just didn't work the way that uh, it was forecasted. But it was a great concept. And if it had worked like Reagan thought it was going to work, it would be would have been great for the American people. But it created the wealth gap that we have to live today, uh, live mm, with today. The well, that's increased with every pro, every president all the way, starting with Reaganomics. It, it probably started before him. There was no. I mean, the elites in 1950 were. You can count. There were probably a hundred men. Uh, and women with like an amount of wealth beyond what the rest of the 99.9% had. Wasn't that worse? No. Smaller numbers, no. It's quality over quantity all the time. Now you just have a bunch of dumb people with a lot of money. So you would rather... I'd rather have 50 intelligent people with all the money and doing things to maybe promote a handful of people here and there versus giving a rapper $10 million who influences kids in a <laughs> negative way. Absolutely. Okay. All right. But then after Barack Obama, then things get spicy. And I get, then I get done. I get done in this lifetime. And then I get, you might get him again. I might, <laughs> but he's a changed man. Now, now I get, the last, yeah, I get the last straw on the old systems, like the last card to pull, essentially. 
So it's like a farewell. It's like a salute. Uh, farewell. This is this is it. This is an embodiment of what 20th century politics looked like and what we got wrong. And so that's where we're at. Meandering 96. In the books. In the books. This was a good one. Instant yeah. classic? Instant classic. Instant classic. <laughs> All right. Yay. We're coming up on 100. 100 is going to be a big celebration. Huge. Yeah. I'm going to have like apple cider. You can have whatever you'd like. Some hot tea, probably. Hot tea. Yeah. Our guest will be none because we're gonna we're gonna celebrate the hundredth episode, just like it was our first. <laughs> just you and I talking to Colin Kaepernick stuff. Yep. No, I don't think we're gonna do that. Oh no. Thanks for being here on this lovely winter evening. Yes. Take care, guys. Later. <laughs>